We did have an amazing interview. I have to tell you, she sent me the questions late last night that she wanted to pursue. I was so impressed. The questions are really great. They were very thoughtful questions. They pointed to someone who is a thinker and someone who is reaching for, you know, the spiritual ground you and I have talked about and worked on. She comes out from that ground, the, the, the ground of self-inquiry. This is the perfect way to start your day, start your business, start your life, change your mentality, understand where your powerfulness comes from. She can help you get there. She gives great advice. She has so much wisdom, so much that you can learn from her. I feel more powerful, in control, and more creative after listening to Sabrina's podcast. I wish I were creating this podcast. Welcome to the Success with Sabrina podcast, sponsored by Time Strategic Consulting Group. Hear from successful businessmen and businesswomen and how they became successful sharing tips and techniques with you to foster change and build success with ease and flow, helping you overcome your toughest trials and biggest challenges to finally go for it and make money and create the epic life that you deserve. To get more information about our consulting, public speaking, and business success membership club, go to www.timestrategic.com. Hello and welcome to the Success with Sabrina podcast. Today on the show, I'm featuring a very special guest, Jeff Hazlett. Now, Jeff is the CEO of C-Suite Network. He's also a Fortune 100 executive. Now, you guys, that is like a former Fortune 100 executive, right? But that is, there's only 500 of these in the world. So a huge amount of success that he's accomplished in his career. He's a truly serial entrepreneur, having sold or bought over 250 companies and produced $25 billion in transactions. That is a lot of moving money. So I'm excited to be talking to Jeff about success today and um, his career path. Yeah, so thank you for being on the show today, Jeff. Well, thank you so much. I love that introduction. That's a great introduction and so great to be going live on Facebook and being a part of uh, the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, that 25 billion, I always think about that number. You know, that's 25 billion in terms of the sales of the company. Uh, you know, my last company, I was running a budget of 17 billion just in marketing with about 7,500 marketing people. And of course, the company was grossing about 180 billion at the time. So it was a, a good sized company. Yeah. You know, I heard from a, a mentor a long time ago when I first started in business and she said, business is all about moving people and moving money. And so you sure moved a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people, too. I know a lot of folks. That's why uh, we've been able to be so successful at the C-Suite Network is knowing all these executives around the world and just helping one another. And by helping one another, wow, look what we've been able to do. Yes, absolutely amazing. Amazing. Now, how did the C-Suite Network idea come about? Yeah, it's a great question. I was involved with a, a number of different groups where I used to pay to belong to what we would call a mastermind is the best way to describe it, or a peer-to-peer council. And I would spend fifty or $100,000 a year to be a member of certain kinds of groups, very elite groups, where I have a chance to be able to, you know, to share and learn and maybe do a little cheering. 
And so in doing that, I saw the real value of, of putting people, the right kinds of people in the room. And so after I left Eastman Kodak, I went and did a show on Bloomberg called The C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett, where I took people in to the boardrooms of major corporations to show them how they're doing something or what they did and why did they do it and see what that decision making to show people what it's like, you know, in a room where 99% of the people who work for the company never get to go. So uh, and I, having been in those rooms before, I, it was always intriguing the kinds of conversations. You know, I, I used to sit there by myself going, geez, somebody should do something around here. And then I'd realize, well, it's me. So um, I started this television show with such a huge success. And then I said, well, how can we expand this to other people? How can people get the same kind of feeling? How can we learn? How can we share? How can we cheer? And of course, now, really important for us to care. And so we started the C-Suite Network. And so it's really like a giant sequoia tree, you know, and if you've ever been in one of those very big redwood forests, the sequoia forest, you walk under these huge trees, there's these unbelievable canopies, and under this canopy is this lush ecosystem, well, that describes the C-suite network, where we have a community, we have content, you know, we have C-suite radio, C-suite, we have over 250 podcast shows, we have uh, uh, C-suite TV, 70 TV shows on Apple, Roku, and on broadcast, and then um, you know, and we have meetings, all meetings all the time, you know, and and then of course services. So that's really what it's about. It's like this big canopy, and then all the stuff going on underneath it. Just like, you know, there's big operations like Amazon or Salesforce or or Facebook. They're very similar. They built these wonderful platforms. We just wanted to build a big tree. Yes, it makes total sense because we can't get there alone, right? Like, and, and that's really the purpose. But you know, Jeff, so I created this podcast to examine some of the inherited conversations that we have around success and how we struggle sometimes to really find that sweet spot, I would call it, right? Um, so I'm going to tell you my favorite quote on success is from Thomas Merton. And he says that we spend most of our lives, um, you know, climbing that ladder of success, right? Only right. to find out later that is leaning against the wrong wall. So in a, in a, that's really what it says. Did you ever find yourself climbing that ladder only to realize at some point you're like, hey, I don't think this is my game. Like I, yeah. So yeah. people that are overachievers, they can excel in so many different things. And so my goal is to help people to design and define what success really means to them so that later they don't find themselves like this quote talks about. Oh, I think you're spot on. And I think the real key for most people is define your conditions of satisfaction. And what I mean by that is, what is it you want out of the game? What is it you want out of life? What do you want out of relationships? So, so I'm constantly, if you and I were going to business together, I would define our conditions of satisfaction. What do you want out of it? What do I want out of it? How do we mutually make those beneficial? So that's important for us. And when you talk about that ladder leaning up against the wrong wall, the wrong building, I totally get it. So the way I describe it is the, the, the process the way in which we do it, the journey up and down that ladder, well, that's really the success. That's how I would define success, is that journey up, the journey down, being on that ladder. And right now, everybody's saying, well, how did you know that, that you know, the C-suite network was going to be successful? I didn't know. I just, I, you know, but I'm, I'm cocky enough to always believe that anything I do is successful. So what I tell people I'm doing is I'm, I'm building the plane while I'm flying. It. It's a plane. All right. And I'm going to add more seats. I'm going to add less seats. I'm going to add a bigger engine. 
but you know, I'm going to constantly be flying it and it will constantly change. You know, there's a saying, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this many times is, is fail fast. Well, that's, you know, that sucks. Failing sucks. I like to win fast. And so you're going to fail in everything we do in business. So what I try to really have people focus is, is focus on the successes and, and how to succeed fast. You know, keep that plane flying because you don't want to fail. All right. You're going to have you're going to run out of gas. Sometimes you're going to have to coast. You're going to have to refill an air. You're going to have to put some new tires. On. I mean, the key is to keep moving and keep it flying. And that's that's how you stay. Uh, you stay ahead of the bank that way. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I don't think that any of us has it all figured out and we change the direction, yeah. right? I remember that what you were talking about reminded me of the movie, uh, the Apple movie with Steve Jobs. When he brought the product to the marketplace, he went to this man that was in contact with the, the people that would be buying this, this machine, right? And the guy said, oh, no, this is not what we want. We want this. And he said, all right, sure. And he got home and he's like, how in the hell am I going to create this? Right. <laughs> right? Well, the same thing holds with Steve the, the, and the other person I happen to know. I used to deal as a focus executive with Steve, so I always had to do business with him. We were always suing each other all the time. And so I always had to, to, to deal with him. And last time I saw him was at the Academy Awards, um, shortly before his death. Uh, but but I was I, I sponsored a conference in which both Steve, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were at the same conference, and they sat on either side of me at this conference. And and I and I've known them both for many years, and I knew Bill much better than than Stephen. But um, but Bill Gates, when he first started the company, he 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 told somebody. They said, "Well, we need this kind of software." He says, "Fine, uh, I'll I'll build it for you." And he had no clue. And then he went out and bought it from somebody else, and that became DOS. That was the operating system for Microsoft, and it was the first operating system they had. And they bought it from somebody else. Had no clue how he was going to do it or where he was going to get it from, but he made it work. Yes, absolutely. Now, Jeff, throughout your career, did you ever struggle with like this feeling of maybe not good enough or that you're not there yet? When did you realize you're like, I'm pretty successful. I think I've, I've made it. Like you came to that realization in your career. Well, don't, we always have those things. I mean, all of us do. Now, even to the, once you get to the epitome of success, if you don't think that Trump doesn't have it, he has it. They all, we all have it. Everybody has it. You know, years ago, I was at a, an event with a bunch of celebrities and I was talking to them about how to monetize their own personal brands. And, and, and someone said this very similar question. They said, Jeff, uh, when, you know, what about those voices in your head? Those little voices that tell you you're not great and uh, that you're not good enough or you're fat or whatever it might be. And I just said, I stopped listening to those voices a long time ago. Mm -hmm. They're still there. They're still talking back there. They're still going on all the time. You know, they're just uh, going away, chatting away all the time. But I just stopped listening to them. I, you know, uh, at some point, you've got to be sure enough about yourself to where you know what you're doing. Yeah, is it perfect? No, if I were perfect, oh my gosh, you know, uh, I would love that, but you know, I, you know, I know me, and I, my, and I've been married for almost forty years. I know me, and I wouldn't be married to me, right? <laughs> so I, I know how bad it is, right? And so the same thing holds with business. The same thing holds with being a parent. The same thing holds with being a good human being or a good Christian or whatever it is you're in your life. We're never good enough. I can tell you that we never are. That's the great thing about the human spirit is that we can achieve greater things and we can keep striving. We keep improving. We can keep learning. We can keep getting healthier. We can keep getting, you know, all these good things can happen to us 
if your mindset is right and get to where you need to go. So, so first of all, if you think that that the that the chairman of this company or the the the, the star or the singer or the football player doesn't have doubts, you're nuts. You're nuts because they all do, and they all have that momentary. They all have the same voices. And the difference is, is how you push those back and push them away and, and get drawn to the light and not to the darkness. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to keep in mind. Absolutely. Now, you've said it before that it's not the lucky that wins in the end, it's the relentless. Right? Yeah. So what does it mean to be relentless nowadays in this challenging time? Well, right now, you have to be. It's depressing. It can get downright, you know cruel for you in terms of some of some businesses that are out there. But, you know, even I was dealing with it yesterday with an employee that we have, uh, you know, one of our team members who was just out on her own by herself and, and she's down, she's depressed and she started crying and, you know, in our team meeting, you know, and, and, and just, she just needed to know that she, that she's loved and that she's cared for and she has a family and it just happens to be called work. And we're all here for you. It, it's not an easy thing to do, right? Uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And not everyone can do it. And to be an entrepreneur, to be in business, to be successful, you have to work hard at it. And it doesn't come easy for most people. And, and you always have to learn to be a beginner and change the way you do things and constantly improve and constantly adapt, you know, because if you don't adapt or change, you're going to die. You know, kind of like what we're seeing right now in terms of this virus, you know, we, if you don't wear a mask, if you don't practice safe distancing, if you don't do those things. So and the same thing holds true with your business in terms of expanding your business and getting it where it needs to go. And that's that's where you have to fundamentally understand that, you know, you have to be relentless. You have to keep trying. You have to keep striving to improve that. I just you know, that's just it's in my nature. And I think it's in the nature of most entrepreneurs. Uh, being able to want to do it better and better and have a real passion uh, for being able to deliver that way. Yeah, it's living with that curiosity, right? Like living with the unknown. And I, one of the things that I love uh, hearing you speak is uh, talking about the hardest questions that one can ask himself, right? And I, I, I thought that was so valuable because I truly believe that the quality of our lives and the quality of our businesses uh, are directly proportional to the quality of questions that we're asking ourselves and our businesses all the time, yeah. right? So what is one question that you have in mind lately? <laughs> well, I, I call them mirror moments. You know, the, I, and it's the, you know I, my very first book, uh, I've written four bestsellers now, but my very first book was The Mirror Test. And it was those key questions that you need to stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself because the only person responsible for your success is the one that's staring back at you in the mirror. That's it. So I think you have to frame those questions, you know, around, you know, the key things that are in front of you right now. My key question right now is how can I continue to gain scale and to gain success with less resources, right? Because, you know, I would be very clear for all of us in COVID and I don't know anybody that's flush with a lot of cash, you know? And it's difficult. It's tough. And people are slowing down paying me, which means I'm slowing down paying them or or quite frankly, being real blunt, not paying them sometimes because, you know, it's just not there or whatever. We have to work around those things. But, you know, to be able to say, do I have do I have what it takes with the scarcity of resources to get us to where we need to go? 
And then what do I need to adapt or change in order to meet that? And, and sometimes that meets some very tough priorities you have to choose. Like I can't hire this person. I can't do that. I mean, I see so many opportunities in front of me right now, buying this company, buying this company, making this acquisition. I wish I had the cash, you know, like that's why I keep buying lottery tickets every week. They don't have all the funding I ever wanted to have. Right. But, um, but no, it, it does make making choices. Like, you know, my team will say, well, we need to get this. Well, we can't, we can't get it right now. You know why? Because we can't afford it. Now, do you want to get paid or you want me to pay that thing? Which which, which what? you know, because those are the kinds of situations you got. And that means, you know, well, geez, I could cut some people and go get what I need, but then I wouldn't be a good steward putting people above profits, which I think is a very important thing for us to do. I think those are responsibilities that some business leaders we have is, you know, as part of being in a free enterprise system is building a great community and great people and, and, and a great world. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I've heard this before and it's stuck with me for so many years. It's create great systems, right? And then use the systems and love the people. Yeah, there you go. I love that. That's awesome. Now, how much time um, did you actually dedicate towards um because you talk a lot about act fast, right? Like it's all about the speed of the market. And I know you're a marketing guru. And so I'm curious, how long does it take for you to actually take a, an idea that you have, whether it is to change directions in your company or to perhaps even start a new business or whatever it is? How long do you sit with that? And how much time do you allow yourself? Do you push yourself like, how does it work? How is the process? Sometimes it's no, it, I allow no time. I just say, this is what we're doing. I mean, like, for instance, March the 12th, you know, it started becoming very tough with COVID, right? And by March 14th, I was on the phone with the team and saying, we're moving and we're moving fast. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to kill all of our, we're going to kill off all of our, our physical events. We're not going to have them through now to the, through the fall. And later, by April, I decided by the end of the year, we're not going to be able to do events uh, like we did. So that was it. So I said, and, and so everybody's, everybody's going, well, no, no, what we need to do, everybody needs hugs now. Everybody needs to be supported. And I said, we are going to be supported. What we're going to be is we're going to be business first responders. I said, what the heck's that? I said, whatever we say it is, that's what it is. Because look, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I can't even sew a mask. But what I can do is go help businesses. So we're going to do that. And so like first responders who respond to a, an emergency and run into a fire, we're going to run into the business problem. Yeah. We're going to take this on. You know, we're not going to sit here. I'm not going to complain that I'm not getting my 1K this year from United. I'm not making uh, making platinum on Marriott. I'm not doing this. I'm not. Put all that aside. We're going to get to the core of what we have to do, and we're going to help people. And by helping people, it's going to help our business, and we're going to we're going to change the way we deliver. And we did that immediately, and I'm glad we did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. You know, I would not be, uh, because our business would have just been devastated. And and but what we've done is we were able to sustain it, and now start growing it. And in some aspects of our business, it's like a hockey stick. We're already into the hockey stick stage, which is fabulous. But it's but when you say how fast. Well, listen, when you bought and sold 250 companies in your career, when you've launched hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of products, when you've managed people, you've seen a lot of different things. I've done everything from political campaigns to, you know, pushing cure for diseases to, to what are, you know, to selling cameras. Um, you see a lot 
and you see some similar trends and you see things and you just, you act based on that experience. That experience gives me that, you know, a lot of times I'll sit with staff or with people and they'll say, let me explain it. You don't need to explain it. I got it. You had me, oh, you know, you had me there. And, and because I, I can tool those or see those reiterations of the circles of the circles of action cycles that we have to do. And I see those thousand things like, like that because I've been through it enough. And so sometimes it takes me longer. Sometimes the idea isn't quite percolated, but you know, here's the key question I ask, and I think it's a good one. Did anyone die? I launched a product. I launched a company. Did anyone die <laughs> too fast? No, I usually I'll, you know, uh, most of what we do isn't, you know, isn't brain surgery, right? Most of what we do, I'm, I, could I have done it better? Yeah. Could I have done it? Yeah. Could I have done it cheaper? Yeah. Could I have done it more, uh, less expensive? Yeah. All the, yes, all those questions, right? In the end, it's about, about action. And I believe the more you're in action is better than not being. And, and so there's a saying that we use is um, never wait for perfect, but once, but once done, strive for perfect. And that's what we try to do in our operation. You know, we never wait for it to be perfect. We never wait for it to be fully, fully baked, fully ready to launch. And then we start to make it perfect, like very much like flying that airplane. And, you know, and I want to go a little bit deeper. Uh, because I think there's so much value in what you're saying right now, not just when you're launching something new, but like when you're talking about all these years of experiences and seeing things. And I think that's the joy of like becoming more mature in business is that you really start to realize these moments where you're a little bit wiser. Like you just kind of know, you feel people, you feel things. And I think that one of the things that I encounter a lot in, in people that I've worked with in the past is that that hesitation to make decisions, right? Like with the fear that those decisions might be the wrong ones. Or so you sit, you know, and you try to gather more information or you try... And sometimes that's devastating to a business, really. Um, can you give me an example of your personal life or maybe a client or someone that is associated with your network that you saw that happening? Well, I mean, you always, so yeah, you, I see it all the time. We see it every day. I mean, you fundamentally have to understand, first of all, is the, is the business decision that you're about to make. Let's just say it's going to be a starting a business. If you're going to start a business, you need to really know where the dog eat the dog food. And there's an, that's an old saying in marketing. You can sell dog food, but will the dog eat it? You know, um, you know, and you know, you can make a good, you can make a hamburger, but is it good? You know, is it better than somebody else's hamburger? You know, so you have to think that through first of all to understand your differentiation or or, or you know or how you're going to dominate the category because otherwise then you're going to be playing a different game. And so, but we see that all the time, but first fundamentally understand, you know, at least I can make that decision a little quicker because I've seen so many of whether, Hey, I think that can go or not. Now we'll go as big as I want or as profitable. I want, that's a different question. Okay. But it'll certainly, I think we can make it work and, you know, and get it to a, to get it to a point of scale, but you, yeah, you but you see a lot of people who hold off, on inaction because they're afraid. And that's the biggest thing for most people is they're afraid. And you have to learn to overcome that fear. And that fear is just lasts a short bit of time. You just, and you have to be willing to be a beginner in what you begin. If you, if you want to be a maestro, you got to learn to play a lot of bad notes. 
there's no way around it. You're going to have to play bad notes before you can master that instrument. And the same thing is going to have to be about the business. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. I mean, look at what Jeff Bezos. I can remember when Jeff was sitting in a room. I, could, I used to call on him. And Jeff Bezos used to be in a room in a simple desk with other people all in the same room, little geeky looking guy, doesn't look anything like he does today. And, 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 and yeah, he was like doing this thing. What are you nuts? I mean, you crazy. And it, you know, his sign was a little hand drawn sign for a long time on his desk. And so, yeah, you can, but he did it and he kept trying and he kept trying and how many millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars they have lost to get them to where they are today, you know? And, and that's an interesting kind of thing. So, you know, do you have, do you have what it takes? Again, it's getting back to being relentless. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you touched a little bit in the beginning of, and then you end and you just like a great interviewee, you answered my question, but I like what you were talking about in the beginning when you said, think about how good is it? Like, how are you d differentiating yourself? Right. So let's right. talk a little bit about that. And as far as like, do you consider yourself and your business to go against the mainstream? What is the component that makes it go against the mainstream? Well, you got to be careful about going against the mainstream. If, if, if no one wants it, then it's a problem. Right. So you have so you can go against the mainstream, but what you have to do is capture customer behavior, right? So let's take Uber, for example. Uber, who would have thought Uber? Now, Uber got started because three guys got really drunk in Paris and couldn't get a cab after 1 a.m. That's what happened. So they had to walk across the entire city. So while they were on that walk, they they sobered up and they realized we could start Uber. I got be, you know, because they didn't know they they couldn't speak French. They didn't know how to call a limo, and they didn't know how to. And the cab shut down after one eight, one two o'clock in the morning in France in Paris. They just go home because they want to go home. That's the way it works over there. And um, but but there's a business that totally disrupted the way we the way we do transportation. There. You know, but it captures customer behavior, it captures what they want. It captured, you know, because no one would have thought, oh, let's come up or oh, let's, how about this one? I love this one, Airbnb. Who would have thought 20 years ago that you're going to let someone stay in your house, pay you money and sit naked on your couch? <laughs> no, you know, nobody would say that, right? That totally disruptive the, in terms of the system, but it captured customer's behavior of wanting to stay in a cozy place, stay in a less expensive place, stay, there's dishes, there's a fridge, there's all these amenities that you, you know, and more like home. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the Uber conversation, what's interesting is that this kind of behavior, like customer behavior that you're talking about was actually already being done for years in Europe. Like that was such a come because I lived in Europe for a while yeah. and, you know, they, they take, they get rides from people like a lot more common than in the U.S. You know, when I got right. there, I was like, are you sure? Like, they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like, so, you know, it was something that they were just already doing in Europe, you know, but obviously someone had the vision, had the idea and really created a huge, massive business out of it. And well, and I'm watching. Yeah, I just learned of another one. Uh, you know, there'll be there'll be sharing of tools. There'll be a, there'll be more businesses that share pickup because everybody needs a friend with a pickup truck. So there'll be a Billy Bob of pickup trucks. There's no doubt about that. You call Billy Bob or whoever, and they show up with a pickup truck and help you haul stuff. So there, that's going to happen. You're, you're going to see, you know, sharing of tools. There are certain tools that I have to go buy or get because I live on a ranch, and and, and I only going to use them once in my lifetime. So I got to go rent them. Well, how about somebody else has it 
and I can get it for a fraction of the cost rather than going and going to this expensive place, standing in line for all day to, to go get the thing, all the stuff that goes with it. You know, and then I just learned of another business where you can actually sign up just to show houses. You don't have to be a realtor. I know a woman who's who whenever she needs some extra cash, she decides on the weekend she wants to do, she hosts an open house. She works for four hours, gets paid, you know, 80 bucks to, 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 to show a house. And the realtor gets five open houses that weekend. He, he or she is not limited to one time. That is mind blowing. So interesting that you're mentioning this because one of my clients is uh, she owns a real estate brokerage here in Miami. And we were just talking about this because she just launched in uh, a branch in, in Orlando. And she's like, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to pay some of the agents to do the, the opening houses for me, you know. And we were brainstorming this and I wasn't even aware that there is a business out there. So now I'm going to bring it up to her. I'm going to there, be- There's an app that does that and you can go on it and then people show up and you, they just sign up to, to show your houses for you. It's awesome. It's awesome. Absolutely. Now, I have heard you talk a little bit about transparency and I yeah. love this subject because I think that a lot of businesses talk a lot about transparency, but they don't live it. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no... Um, situation in their businesses that really puts them in a in a position of really being transparent. So I want to hear from you, when is it that you actually applied the transparency and you felt a little uncomfortable, perhaps a little risky, but you did it anyways? And what were the results of that transparency? And do you feel like that's, that's what business ought to do? Is it good for every business or like, what is your take on that? That's good for every business. I think, and I think you need to be radically transparent. I've seen great examples of businesses that have done it. Probably the biggest example is the one that I detail in my books. I detail a lot in speeches, and it's a television show that I did all around Domino's because Domino's, you know, went and changed its name, changed its recipe. They said their the customers used to taste the pizza and said it tastes like cardboard, and they went out and said, look, it does. It tastes like cardboard, but we're going to change it, and we're going to make it with world-class recipes, world-class chefs, world-class ingredients. They changed the name from Domino's Pizza to Domino's, and then they changed the recipe of the pizza. And the result was, oh my gosh, their stock went from 70 cents to over buck uh, $109, one of the largest increase in stock issues, all by just telling the truth, telling the truth. And they advertised it. So it's it's nuts. You know, the, when I, the first time I think most of us use transparency in business is actually having to let someone go actually sitting down with someone and saying, hey, this isn't working out. And it's better to have those kinds of transparent conversations early and fast and as quick as possible. And so I think that's the first real example where most people see it is there um, in terms of just being really radically transparent, like, hey, this isn't working out for us. And and those are the kinds of situations. But I believe in and, and I learned this very early on, like one time, one of my employees, I was having a really tough cash problem. I owned a printing business, owned a couple of them at the time. And I was really having a tough time with cash. And my manager got a great, great, great uh, buy on paper. And so he bought a truckload of paper, which he saved me thousands and thousands of dollars. But me putting out that cash meant I had no more cash. And, and I didn't tell him that we were short on cash. I was afraid to tell him that, you know, hey, it's really tight. It's really tough. Uh, you know, we got to watch the pennies. We can't spend anything. We're, we're going to make it. No problem. No. But yet here he was trying to do a good thing for me and almost put me under. Right. So that's when I learned very important. It's very important to share the numbers, share the, share the, you know, the mood, to share 
the information with the key people in the company so that they can help make the same decisions I would make. And so that's a, that's a great way of being able to do it. And your employees know anyway. You know, at that time, you know, quite frankly, I was paying things cash on delivery, COD, cash on delivery. You know, um, I wasn't buying new cars. I wasn't I wasn't going on vacations. I wasn't, you know, I'm bringing a backlog to, to work, you know. That they'll they'll know that that things aren't as well as you know he just bought a new Mercedes or he bought a new pickup truck and oh my gosh he's going to Aruba or he's going wherever and um, they figure that stuff out pretty doggone quick. So they know they they have sense anyways. But what I love about your answer is that I was thinking of transparency more like like you're talking about towards your employees, right? An internal transparency, let's call it that way. But the pizza example is even more great because it's like. Not only strive to be transparent with your company and your employees and your team, but also how can we strive to be transparent with our clients? Like, because they know it too, right? Right, right. Try to shoot it or. Yeah, it's like an airline. How about just tell me the truth? Tell me that the plane's broken and it's not weather or, you know, those kinds of things. Wouldn't we want to have people say, listen, there's not a chance in hell you're catching your flight tonight. Right. <laughs> Rather than making me wait for three hours, right? So I think it's okay to have good conversations with people and say, no, we're not, we, we don't do that. Or yes, we do do this. Or this is the way we're going to handle it. And people are okay with it. You know, they, you know, they just want to be listened to and they want to have a say in what's happening to them and for them or, you know, or around them. And so the more you're transparent about that, the better it is for everyone. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the question that is posed uh, with this conversation, and, and I'm changing directions completely. I'm getting rid of my notes now because you, you, it's just so fun to talk to. And, and you make me think about one thing that, I, that, you know, a lot of businesses complain that sometimes when there's too much transparency and open dialogue, that it slows down the process of taking action and making decisions and moving. Well, quit, quit talking about it. <laughs> quit talking about it. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and talk about it. Just because you're transparent doesn't mean you're talk, talking to death. Like, move on. Okay. You know, that, that's the other piece of it is that you have to be able to do. We're not here. I'm not here. We didn't. I didn't. Just because I'm being transparent with my team doesn't mean we're talking about it all the time. I mean, I, 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 I don't need to sit there and hear, you know, hear your opinion. No, I didn't ask for it, you know, but I'm being transparent about it. Now, if you have something to contribute, contribute. But if it's going to be to complain, well, that's a different thing. Don't come to complain, don't come to bitch, but come with an answer. And if you don't have an answer, then don't talk. I mean, why would you even be part of the team if, if you're going to come and just complain and not give any solutions, right? Like you're, yeah. paid, you're paid to come up with solutions and not more problems. Or Well, one thing COVID's taught me more than anything is I don't want drama. I'm done with drama. I'm done with people who can't handle things. I'm done with things that I just, you know, I can't control the things I can't control. So I'll control the things I can control. And if you don't want to be a part of that solution, then you're part of the problem. Then I'm going to, I'm going to, I love you, but we'll miss you. And I think that's okay to have that conversation. Again, being very transparent, you know, and, you know, I've got some great people that have been part of our team and they're good team players. And I've got other people who are great producers, but the drama outweighs the production. The drama outweighs the value. And that's going to be a figure in the, in the quotient. So, you know, I have somebody tell me all the time, oh, that's a superstar. It's a superstar. But when you're a bigger POA, a pain in the you know what, then you are producing, then no, you're not. 
or not being a team player, right? Because I mean, sometimes you see producers, like I've been in sales for so many years and I've seen this too, like people that are just like, but they're just such a lone wolf. Like they just can't not work in a team, you know? Yeah, I think you've got to be, yeah, you got to be in the same forest together. Maybe you don't have to all be on the same team exactly the way that we always think. Like that means everybody together. Because I think that there, you need outliers. I think you need you need healthy tension in the system. So you need some people who push hard and who who are those race horses in the stable that kick down the door who never want to be in the stable. So I'm okay with that, right? Because they're still on the farm. But they're not in the not in the barn, and, and and I think that's important because they set an example for everybody else to go push to be faster, to be quicker, and you know as long as they're still on the farm, not necessarily in the barn, I'm okay. And, <laughs> you know, because at the same time you've got those old old oh you know when I say um, I shouldn't say old because I don't mean by age, but I mean by slow horses that pull the wagon, and you need those too, right? And, and the, but it's those horses that that never pull and never race that you want to get rid of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really it's really like what they're also setting as an example of what can be possible, right? Like what can be done, and that can make a huge difference in the in the momentum of a team for sure. I love. And, and you need that friction, that that friction that pulls people from the from the center of the stage to the edge of the stage. You know. And the key for all of us in, in the company is to make sure that they don't fall off or I don't fall off. That should be my job. You know, um, I had a, a company exec I've introduced, uh, had on my television show um, at Life Technologies. He said, you have to be irrational as a leader. And I thought, well, that's crazy. What would you mean get irrational? And what he meant by that is that you tell everybody you're going from point A to point B, but you really tell them you're going way over here to C. All right. So. And you just want to get them to be, but you tell them C or you tell them that C. And the reason you tell them that C is you got to get them to be. So you have to squelch it further. So you have to tell them, you know, it's, 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 we're going way over there. And they think, well, you're nuts. You're crazy. But you got them to be, which is greater than where you thought they were going to ever be. Love it. Love it. Jeff, this has been such a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for being here today. And for those of of you that are going to be listening on the replay, you can check it out. And please send me any questions if you have questions. And check out C-Suite Network, you guys, because that is by far the best networking group that I have found in many years of networking, Uh, not only in the U.S., I kid you not, but I've been part of networking groups in Europe, London, you know, and different places. And I'm very, very surprised and impressed with the caliber of the people that I'm meeting and the, the, the opportunities there. So thank you. Fabulous. Thank you for having me be a part of this. This is awesome. Thanks for joining us today. To join our free Facebook group and access the links and resources mentioned in the shows and much more, go to www.sabrina-gagnon.com. That is G-A-G-N-O-N. You will become a member of a private Facebook group dedicated to providing the best practices, skills, and strategies to grow your business. And remember, we all have natural advantages that come from our instinctive power. You are perfectly created to accomplish so much. Let's challenge the status quo and create a business and life you love.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.